Although I think the uh, the new information security policies might sort of mean that we're not allowed to play on our work laptops. Not really? that we would, of course. Yeah, well, I think so. So I feel like if you were to look at the the acceptable use policy, mm. it suggests, you know, that you shouldn't be playing games on it. Mm, okay. So if you are, just uh, don't do that anymore. I am. I am not. I have. A, I have my own gaming PC that's sitting right here next to my left leg, uh, in the work from home situation here. Oh, very good. So I have no need for lowly Apple MacBooks to run my games. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to read through those policies yet. I have been literally on back-to-back meetings all day from like ten. Oh, really? So it's been a good day for development then? Oh, none, none. I, maybe like twenty minutes. That's it. Okay. Yeah, that's no good. Yeah. Is today like a planning day or something? No, not even. It's just one of those days because uh, I'm obviously I'm working on the, well, let's say our contract and I'm kind of like, you know, sort of leading the feature type thing. It's, you know, what it's a weird kind of position, but it's like the, not not like a tech lead, but I'm like a, a feature lead, you know, so I have okay. to, you know, write all the documentation and, you know, do some of like the kind of scrum master stuff, you know, grooming and all of that and then talk about issues and engage with people and do all of that stuff. So it ends up piling on those meetings. All of those things that you were promised <laughs> weren't weren't the thing that a developer does whenever you signed up to be a developer and then all of a sudden now you're here talking to normal people? It, yeah, too too much people <laughs> talking to people. That's the biggest problem. Uh, no, I don't mind people. It's just I, I, I don't mind people, but I like development more than I like speaking to people. So it's still a it's still a bad compromise, but it's not as bad as it could be, I guess. Yeah, it's funny that I read a tweet during the week where this this guy was saying he'd been in development for forty years. People ask him what the difference is between software development forty years ago and software development now, and he says collaboration. And it's like <laughs> it's a surprise that people joined to be a, a programmer, not realizing that actually your job is going to be all about collaboration uh, and not about sequestering yourself in a little room and writing code all day. So (sighs) those damn source control people, SVN, Git, look what you have done. Yeah. Although he did also, and this is, I find this really interesting. He he posed a question, which was, if you think of a, a piece of software as an application that is written, so a separate time by a separate team. Okay. So you've got pieces of software. How many pieces of software are involved in the process of getting a cat video onto the internet. If you watch a cat video on YouTube, how many pieces of software are involved in the process? Oh my God, yeah. So what do you think? What's the number? Oh, on, on YouTube specifically? Just say you're watching, you're watching a cat video on the internet. How many pieces of software are involved in getting the video of that cute cat onto the internet and for you to watch it? Wow, I mean, obviously there's all the infrastructure, there's all the video stuff, there's networking stuff. I mean, it's so many layers on the stack there. I don't know. Is it is it the thousands? <laughs> okay, Jason, what do you think? I can count about four to five that I would know of, but there's probably like, I don't know, it's double figures, 12. So this guy said a naive user, computer user, somebody who's not involved in actually programming would, would say, yeah, seven or eight. Uh, somebody who's involved with programming a little bit might think carefully and might go, mm, 70 or 80 or up to 100. And he said, in actual fact, it's about 7,000. So Darren, you're right. Well done. And and that's because if you think about whenever you do like an NPM install, how many packages are installed? Yeah. It's impossible for you to write software and not to be collaborative these days because you're collaborating with thousands of other people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that was my thought. It's just dependencies. Like if you do like a Maven package or an NPM install, it's like you've already gone up by many, many hundreds right there. What's terrifying is we have no idea what half of those things do or, or 
like who made them or where they go. Yeah. Yeah, it is terrifying. But it's okay. Let's go back to crypto because uh, when me and Darren met about a year, I was going to say about two years ago on a project, a whole bunch of us decided to, as it was a finance project, we decided to stick 100 quid into crypto and it, it dropped horrendously. So we all stuck 100 quid in and within about, I think, six weeks, the majority of people had like 40 to 50 quid in oh. and a load of people took their money out. So when it went back up to about 60, 70 quid, they all took their money out with a 30 quid loss. I was determined not to. I was like, well, I put 100 quid in. I don't really need the 100 quid right now. So I'm just going to leave it there and see what happens. And I checked it last week and it's sitting at 170 quid. So uh, I was delighted. That's delighted. pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. It's starting to drop again. There's a big overnight crash there of about $2,000 yeah. in value. So it's 150 um, right now. It's minus 2.76%. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, so cash out. No, I'm in for the long haul. I'm just going to leave oh. it there and see what happens. If, I've basically said if it hits a grand, I'll probably take it out. <laughs> yeah, the general consensus seems to be that it's still bullish. So it's just it's a momentary drop and then it'll come back again. Yeah. I confess that I have no idea about this whole thing. I've been looking around and it seems like there's like a, a neat divide between the boomers who think that crypto is just a pump and dump scandal that's going to be taking advantage of the latecomers. Uh, and it's not sensible or right or or legal or any of that sort of stuff. And the millennials who think that this is the future of currency and all those old boomers are are stupid and don't see the value in it. I like the concept. It's when you hear stories like the the largest Bitcoin account, like Noen, basically took all the money out and it was something horrendous. It was like, was it 90 million or 900 million? And the account got emptied and no one knew whether it got hacked or whether the actual rightful owner withdrew the money. And that's when you hear stuff like that, you're like, okay, how much money do I want to keep in this? If if a huge, like millions can, like, there's an unknown question as to like, did this get taken out lawfully or was it hacked? So when you hear stuff like that, it doesn't fill you with yeah. confidence to, to use the platform. Yeah, it's only as secure as you keep, you know, your wallets and stuff secure. So you have to make sure that you keep all of that under a tight, tight log. That's why there's like, you know, hardware uh, wallets as well. You know, that it literally is like a wee USB stick where, where it all goes in and it's never connected to, to the internet. You know, you're supposed to like use a VM in bypass mode and you know, all of this stuff if you're ever going to do anything with yeah. it. Um, Which sounds way too complicated and way too much effort to bother with. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There was a thing that I read in my brief little bit of research that suggested that paypal were actually allowing you to buy and sell with cryptocurrency so if you've used paypal then that's easy and i don't need to worry about all that sort of weird stuff i use uh, coinbase so coinbase is an app you basically download it and it's it's monzo-esque really simple interface you have a whole bunch of so i can buy bitcoin ethereum litecoin etc etc and i basically just go in and it shows me a portfolio and i can kind of buy and sell at will and it's it's just a really simple little interface that you can go through and just purchase things. When you see stuff like that, I think it makes it much easier. Like, I don't know if you guys have looked at the app uh, Plum, which is a similar thing. It's a digital-only app. You download, and it, it will basically allow you to invest in stock. My understanding is that Plum will automatically do it. So you just basically put in that you want to put, like, low-risk stock, and it will kind of just build it up for you over a period of time. Wow. People can't even do their own investments anymore. Everything has to be automated. <laughs> but it's it's all these, like... It's additional things, right? I mean, I don't know how, how much you guys are into like eBay and you have eBay snipers where it's like you've got a third party tool which will bid at the last like millisecond of the of the auction. 
those things are amazing and we don't use them. And yet there does seem to be stigma around like plum. I, I know there's a lot of stigma around like, as you say, like people can't even do it, but it's just a helping hand. It's something that's kind of going, well, here, this, this stock's at good value. Do you want to buy it? Yes or no? Yeah. It just, it just makes it, you know, increases, raises the bars. Like people who don't automate everything, you know, they can't really compete with that sort of stuff. But, you know, it's the, it's, it's the age. What can yeah. we do? My, my wife was, was burnt massively with eBay. So recently, moved back into the house and had a little a load of stuff that were like, oh, do we really want this stuff anymore? As you do when you, you move in and out of your house. And uh, she's never really used eBay and decided, right, I'll try eBay. And the app is brilliant. If you haven't used the eBay app on your phone, it's, it's just really easy. Like they've just, they've done so much work on the kind of user experience side. It, it makes it quite simple. And she couldn't, she got really frustrated. Like, how are these people beating me? And I was like, well, they're using BitSniper or some sort of third-party plugin. And she was like, well, what does that mean? And I had to explain to her, like, they're not actually waiting and like at every bid and at every auction to, to kind of get it. It's just all automated through some app that they're paying for. And she was horrified. It's like, that's that's working system. Every, everything is like that now. Like, honestly, it's it's crazy. I'll, I'll not name the names of anything here. I'll keep everything anonymous, but let's just say an acquaintance of to of a random degree that you don't know provided services, right? Social media management services to a business somewhere on this planet. And said service was charged at a significant rate of let's say 600 uh, sterling a month and said service included the effort of maybe an hour a week by just getting a bot app on the phone to manage all the instagram and twitter stuff to like you know just like the automatic engagement and so the money that this person got paid for like the the fee for, for to use the, the bot and all the rest was just profit and all they did was give it a wee check every 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 so often and that's it it raises the question, how many people have got that as some sort of glorious golden feedback loop where you create content on Instagram, right? And then pay some sort of offshore content farm to basically constantly look at the content you're, you're cutting, putting out there. And I'd love to do the maths on it. Like, would it make sense? Would it, would you be making profit on it? So, you know, the way like in, like, I think the majority of them are in China, they have, they have content farms. So basically they have just roomfuls of phones going through. So I wonder whether you could... You could hook your own content up to them and still make money as some sort of weird loop. Because they, I mean, the, the the stats are crazy, right? When they say like how much fake engagement is out there. But I wonder if you knowingly forced fake engagement on your own on your own ads and your own content, whether it would still pay you to pay for the fake engagement. Yeah, would would the engagement and ad revenue whatever pay off the cost of the farm that you're hiring? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Tobias van Schneider is a German or Austrian born, I can't remember, designer who lives in New York. He was the creative director of Spotify and does lots of glorious things. But he started a talk one year about why side projects are are amazing. And he has a URL, ismycomputeron.com. And that URL with some ad words pays for his New York rent every month. Like you're, you're talking thousands of dollars a month that that, that URL is generating for him. It's slightly frustrating. <laughs> the idea of having sort of passive income, isn't it? Where you can kind of just get money for yeah. doing nothing. And it's like, you know, you could make a couple of WordPress designs and stick them up somewhere and sell them. But that's, that's too much work. He's just going to put in a homepage that doesn't yeah, do anything. Literally just says, yes, <laughs> yes, your computer is on, done, okay. Yeah, uh, and he's and he's getting loads of money. It's like, there's something... It feels like there's something not right there, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm just angry that I'm not getting any money from it. It's the, it's the ingenuity. I, I I know a guy, well, a new guy, 
um, who he basically he wrote essentially a, a game within a game. So it's like this. I can't remember the what's what it's actually called, but it's like a life simulator game which people just join and you know it's like a city and you can do random activities and chat to people. But then there's like arcades within the game, so you can play like Atari within the life simulator game. Um, and it had its own like Wii engine basically, so you could make games within that you know meta game engine or whatever. And he made one, and you could sell these for actual money on on the platform that this life simulator provided. And he made one, and it sold like thousands and thousands, and he made loads of money off of that. And it was just like a crappy, you know, very simple sort of Atari type game. But that's what I find fascinating. So the world's pretty messed up currently, like COVID-19, really? shocking American politics and, and racial issues. We've got Brexit coming in and everyone's freaking out, greatest depression we've ever seen, et cetera, et cetera. But the digital world, the world that, that we all work in is seemingly going from strength to strength as it is forcing, we're basically all being chucked into like a, a a pressurized cooker, right? Where a lot of these changes were all taking place and we all knew the world was moving into a digital kind of, like the digital spectrum, but all of that has been accelerated due to COVID-19. So the whole, I mean, there's talk of the whole reset and, and people are at home more and the internet's being used more and more and we're buying online and Amazon, et cetera, is, the, is all being accelerated because the high street has basically stopped and shut down. So that leaves a massive opportunity for us. But what's what's what I really find interesting is you guys are talking about all these opportunities, but we need to be almost now in the digital space thinking about in six months time, you're going to have all of these businesses large and small who are very quickly being pushed into a digital age that they're not comfortable with and not used to and there's going to be gaps in that market where they're not going to know how to do things or they're going to need support and if we can get ahead of the game and think about those gaps and there's, there's going to be loads right i mean so there's going to be all these gaps that these companies are going to start figuring out in the next kind of six to 18 months and if we can really get ahead of that curve and start thinking about the solutions that's going to be a really interesting space the solution the solution, as always, is software. What problem is there that software cannot solve? I was going to say, can it make me tea? But it probably can. The problems are always people problems, though. So is it really software? I mean, as a company that's trying to segue into a product company, which is all about basically solving problems and finding solutions, the quickest way to do that is probably all sit down and whinge about the things that annoy you from a digital space. So what, what do we do on a daily basis in our, in our lives slack whatever and then try to figure out where the gaps are and where the biggest pain points are and try and solve those that's easy for me right that's that's how we do this what's the name of the podcast by the way is there a name is it just the instill podcast the idea is weak notes so some organizations particularly kind of digital government they write a blog post every week that basically outlines the things that they did in the previous week. What have we learned this week? Um, what have we struggled with this week? Where are, what are our successes? Um, and I really like that concept. And that's what I my thought thinking about this podcast was. Personally, why I thought it was a good idea and why I was pushing for it was kind of twofold. Firstly, Instal as a brand has been talking a lot about having a stronger opinion on things and not necessarily being opinionated, but just going out into the world with a voice and, and being able to discuss something. Because we're, we're a bunch of incredibly passionate people, but a lot of the time our forward-facing brand in some ways shied away from having an opinion and being confrontational is the wrong word, but um, controversial probably is the right word. So it, it felt like, well, why can't we have a podcast? And then 
going into lockdown. I think it was more trying to get listening to the last three episodes has been something magical about hearing waffle from your friends. You know what I mean? Like it's it's water cooler type conversation. Like we're not specifically talking about a topic and we're not talking about like you're not necessarily talking about work. It's just, hey buddy, how you been this week? What like like what have you been doing this week? And I think it's also about that whole like digital and product mentality of of just trying, getting something to market as opposed to like let's sitting down and, and scripting this whole thing from start to finish, but more just have a fluid kind of friendly conversation and let's see where it goes. It's agile, it's iterative. Exactly, exactly. And I've, I've loved the last episodes. They've, they've all had kind of their own kind of golden moments where you thought that's hilarious or what the heck are you guys doing? I've been really surprised that they've actually worked, to be honest. Obviously, this is meant to be public, right? We're supposed to put it on a website and others can listen in. I think that's our thinking. Whether or not anybody actually ever does is is another matter. And I'm disinclined to put any sort of analytics into it. You know, it's like, I don't really care. I think I think if, if we get some people in, in still listening to it and they like it, then I think that's a win. But I guess, you know, if other people want to listen to it and find value in it, then that's that's also really good. But I'm not expecting it yet. Okay. So what's the, the objective then? Is this something to try? Then we'll see what happens. There's no clear, like, we want to communicate something or make a statement or anything? Short term, I think it's it's all about getting comfortable in the space. So it's about, it's about instill as a team being comfortable doing a podcast and, and talking about items and having an opinion. And my hope would be that long term... We do maybe do a hard push on it and, and put it out there. And um, whether that happens or not, I don't think it really matters. I think it's more just that it's available. We we definitely still need to do an intro, I think. Um an intro and an, an exit would be would be nice to play with. And the emotive impact of having music with someone talking like totally changes the vibe. So I'd love to then start at some point in the next kind of couple of weeks, like thinking about how we introduce music. Subtly, I've been getting into some uh, music production over lockdown as well. Okay, I've got my MIDI keyboard here. I've got some virtual instruments and a, a digital audio workstation and all that stuff, and even learning like orchestral arrangement and stuff. So I'd be keen to get involved with that. Though I am a novice. Sweet. So we we've sorted our audio engineer for this then. Done. Neil was supposed to record something for us, or at least I think Maddie thought Neil was supposed to record <laughs> something for us. And he picked up his he, he picked up his guitar. I went. That's out of tune, and you put it down no. again. So, you know, I think I think if you would if you could produce something for me, I'd be happy to roll it in. It's not uh, it's not difficult. Okay, so we've we've talked for an hour, so I should have at least fifteen minutes of quality uh, conversation. Struggling there. to think what would be quality out of the last fifteen minutes. You'll be surprised. I think it will come together pretty well. I hope that works. Have a nice weekend. Enjoy your breaks off. Thank you very much, man. You, uh, you too, Jason. <laughs> forced, forced. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Love you. Love you too. Bye.